0: Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Veronica Chaney. I am a woman shepherd here at Christ Central, and today's reading comes from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, and Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them. Bowing low to the ground, my Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked, she's inside the tent. Abraham replied, then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure especially when my master my husband is also so old then the lord said to abraham why does sarah laugh why did she say can an old woman like me have a baby is anything too hard for the lord i will return about this time next year and sarah will have a son Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. (laughs) Genesis. Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God said it would happen, And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God has commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, we continue in our American Idols uh, sermon series. And uh, just as we talk about cynicism, or being a cynic, or cynical, um, the terms cross over, right? So a cynic can be sarcastic, right? And a cynic can be ironic, right? So there's Ironic cynics and their sarcastic cynics, and so um, go look it up um, and kind of see how they present differently. We're going to focus on the laughing side of things, right? The comic cynic, if you will. Um, if you take some unknown, overworked, oversexualized, underloved people, if you throw in some shame some joblessness, some hidden evil motives brought to the surface, maybe some greed or loneliness, disloyalty, a touch of racism, sexism, poverty, maybe mundane existence, aimlessness, loss, and spiritual and religious folly and failure. If you kind of put all those things together in the lives and words of comedians turn actors, you know you get some of the most successful sitcoms the last decade has ever known. Life can be so bad, y'all. So complicated, so empty, so long gone for any meaning, so impossible to clean up, so disappointing that it has driven many and most of us, and I'm going to even say all of us in some way, to hopelessness to a chronic disbelief in good. Beyond right and wrong, beyond the tears, we've already done that. Life has become a sitcom. It's become absurd for us to think that we, or this life, you know, um, can end up with some sort of deep or real meaning. So it's laughable. Right? To think that we can be trusted, that others can even be trusted, that God himself can be trusted to be as good as he says he is. The idol of cynicism is a way to live and survive in a damaged and disappointing world. Now being happy, hopeful, trusting, feeling good, and being nice, and asking people to trust you is corny, it's cheesy, it's whack, it's stupid, it's played out. We've become a culture of player haters, right? The only safe place for haters is to mock life, to make others in life a comedy and sitcom. What's... Become a popular TV genre these days, and I love it, a dramedy. Y'all heard about the dramedy? Kind of like this dark and absurd and kind of like this macabre, right? This kind of comedy that that exposes the the raw and, 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 you know, like a Dexter, like a secession, right? Where the heroes are doing cruel things to one another and to each and themselves and... We kind of laugh about it. And, and, and let me give an aside here. Um, even as a follow-up to last week's sermon on voyeurism, I want you to know that I'm not going to be, and I've never been the don't-watch-this-show pastor type. Okay. Pastor Brown said, we can't watch this show no more. Like God told you not to watch this show. I'm not going to do that. But I encourage you at the same time to go deeper, right? I make it harder. Ask why and what you are captivated by and giving your time to and why you're giving your time to this show. What do you like about it? What is it doing to you or for you? I only point to our entertainments, not like, hey, I'm going to attack, you know, the, the, the TV industry or the music industry because then I have to include the Christian gospel music industry, right? I got to go after everybody. but why are you captivated? I only point to entertainment, especially when discussing things like cynicism and American Idols, because it is a dramatic representation. It's like the marketplace of what is going on. It's the trend of our hearts, what's going on inside of us. So that's why I point to it. So don't think I'm pointing to stuff because I'm saying you can't watch that or God said he don't like this particular show, Right? But it is my hope, rather, that you will see and find a counter-hope for our cynicism. For some of us are uniquely Christian cynicism. That God would flip the script, that he would actually change the channel, that he would free our souls from being hypnotized to death and give us real joy and real hope and real laughter. You see, long before there was communication over the airwaves and internet and satellite and cell towers, the Bible had already displayed and diagnosed and described the idol of cynicism in three ways I want us to see from this passage today. First, the idol of cynicism thrives on our, I think I have disbelief, unbelief, right? Secondly, the idol of cynicism thrives on our damage. Yeah, okay. Sometimes I change things, even on Sunday morning, so okay. And the, the, finally, the idol of cynicism thrives on our desire for deliverance. So around 2000 BC, and don't get all cynical, right? Oh, yeah, 2000 BC, right? Of course, it ha- has some kind of Lord of the Rings era to it and setting, like way ago, so anything magic could happen back then, right? But God had promised an an old man, a very old man, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, somewhere north of the age of 85, that they were going to not just have a baby, something that had not happened for them in all their years of trying and hoping, but they were promised by God that he and Abraham and Sarah would be the parents of a great nation, a number of people who would be blessed, loved, and used by God mightily to then bring his truth and bless the earth through them, right? For Sarah's miracle of having a child at 90 something possibly, here it comes again. I guess she's about 75 or 80 at this point. Imagine wanting to have a child this long, right? But this time, yeah, I'm going to get cynical, right? Mystic passing strangers, Right? These soothsaying sorts of means of getting truth, right? Ooh, three strangers, a masked hero with an accent. You know he's telling the truth if he's got that British accent. <laughs> That's how he got in trouble? Nothing. <laughs> Trust me. No. Okay, Sean Connery, we ain't trusting you. But he, he coming with that message. You will have a child, Sarah. You know what the accent, right? Not... And she, the Bible says she laughs within herself. Not at the promise itself only, but at her place in it. Do you see that? Beyond struggling with whether it can be biologically true or not, it's been so long. Sarah is now struggling with the possibility of meaning and purpose being a part of her life at her age. Not this same truth that God promised it can't be. She says it in the scripture here. I'm worn out. Another translation says, I am dried up. I laugh because I don't believe I have it within myself. Look at me, within my abilities to be what God says I will or could be and serve the purposes that God has said he will do and carry out in my life. Sarah doesn't believe in the promised stuff now. She's beyond believing. The authority is full of it. Cynicism says, looking at me and the way my life has worked out and my ability to be all that I should be, this isn't real. So I'm keeping it real. I'm dried up, God. That's my prayer. I'm old. I'm done. My life has been a God production, coming attraction of something good and credible and happening, going to happen, for 75 years now. You know, imagine this. That Sarah's saying, my life has been running as a trailer, right? At the movie of everyone else's life for 75 years. I'm watching young women have children here and here and here. And guess what? Every time it happens, there's a trailer coming soon to this world. Sarah is going to have a baby. I am always on the way, right? Never being. I'm an atr- coming attraction of God's grace and power. Our whole life together, me and Abe, and, and God sends three bigwigs from the Hollywood in the sky to say, don't worry, production is taking a little longer than we thought. And serious thinking, I am not who y'all want at this point. Find a nice young actress. Because not only is my body biologically worn out, she's saying, my faith and trust and hope is worn out and dried up. Man, please, go on with that to the next young family. String them on for 75 years. Cynicism tells us nothing in this world can give definitive right now meaning even if everything says is true, good, right, or incredible, right? Sarah is like a watcher. Sometimes life is like this. You're kind of on the outside looking in at your life, and she's like watching the sitcom entitled Sarah and the Promise. You can even hear the corny music, Sarah and the Promise, da 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 da, da Right? but she is not in the story of story herself she is a watcher of true life but her life and promises and hopes are not a reality they are just a show institutions then leaders preachers like me advisors, marketers, influence, that man or woman on TikTok who has a thing about the food that'll keep you skinny and work out and love. Counselors have become, they've all become the writers and producers and promises of our stories. They speak a lot of of truth about us in this life and you can do it and our issues and a potential happy ending. But cynicism makes us watch and laugh and enjoy the show with a, yeah, right, that was nice, that was good, but no way. But the kicker, the deadliness the cynicism, is not just the inner laugh; it's the outer lie that follows. Look with me at verse thirteen. We'll read this. Some of these narratives, I don't, so they can be kind of long, and I don't want to um, read through too much of it. But this is what it says: um, Sarah laughed inside of her, right, because she said, "They too old, they dried up." And then, in verse thirteen, then the Lord said to Abraham, because. Uh, one of the servants one of the three mass men was, was Jesus, we believe, um, a pre, uh, in, like a pre-Jesus coming uh, to Mary um, uh, a manifestation. Sometimes he shows up, right. Um, okay, so then the Lord said to Abraham, "Why did Sarah laugh? <laughs> Why did she say, "Can an old woman like me have a baby?" is there anything too hard for the Lord? I return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she denied it saying, I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, yeah, you did, right? (laughs) You see, her lack of belief is held together and and strengthened y'all. I'm gonna use the word calcified by a lie about why she is laughing in an attempt to shield herself from more self-failure. She's already a failure. I don't think we understand. Um, And as I study this, it's very difficult. Um, uh, I mean, Abraham was having a hard enough time as a man who uh, couldn't have a baby. Sarah's situation was worse. In a society where... uh, a, woman, a woman's ability to have land and be cared for was directly tied to her ability to have male children. This was Sarah's life here. This was her, like, sense of worth and value in this society. Um, it's it's a, There's another sermon, you know, we can do, on whether this was right or wrong. Um, but what God is calling us to do is look at this situation and understand it for what it, what it was in it, all its sin and darkness and misogyny and sexism, right? That for Sarah, this is terrible. This is shameful, this is like somebody coming to your house, right, from the church or something and seeing something you're watching on TV and being like, mm, 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 right? You know, or, or you, you have the kids over and the kids say something. <laughs> I think I told you. I, uh, I grew up in a neighborhood and uh, we had a lot of um, Jewish neighbors and I had a lot of Jews. I've been a bat mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs I've been to all of that. Play dreidel. Um and uh play dreidel every year, right? Um, all the time. So uh they were saying my my friend who uh Andy, uh, they're they're not real Orthodox in their um Judaism. And they went to the rabbi's house and uh One of the kids said, hey, they're like, we're going to order pizza. What do y'all want? And he was like, we want sausage and cheese. (laughs) Cheese mixed with meat? Can't have that, right? We want sausage and cheese. And he said, he said it in such a triumphant voice, sausage and cheese, rabbi. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Sarah is confronted. Hey. You laughed at God? She lies about her unbelief with an outer show of acting okay. She's laughing instead of crying out of fear that she'll be punished for not believing. Or embarrassed or shamed or already marginalized, marginalized further and she buries her true feelings about herself in this situation. The laughing lie is the power of cynicism. It makes the desperate issues of ourselves, others and, and us with the and us with the Lord, unreachable. It puts it in a casket. It, it puts it in a live cast with a studio, studio audience. We've become false characters, comedians, actors and actresses of a Christian life instead of true to ourselves and God, over a true expression, like right? We've chosen that instead of a true expression of what is going on. Obviously, uh, cynicism comes from a, a twisted view, right? It comes from a life in which your personal performance determines your ultimate worth. And if you can't perform, you get punished. If you fail, you get shamed. It's truly an American idol. So the auto of cynicism offers us the ability to survive and live in the dangers and deadliness of your brokenness and unbelief in God and the you God has called you and made you to be. So inside, like Sarah, we feel we may feel dried up and worn out and waiting and wanting ourselves to live up to how and how and, and who we should be, to deal with the vices, with the secret sins, even what God promises and says we are. We have become impossible, if you will, to ourselves and God. We only see ourselves as a joke and God. God is a joke, and you and God are a yeah, right, maybe in this life. Even this morning, the Bible, the church, and all of that stuff are true and speak to truisms. But some of you think, but not really, not me. I mean, look at me and look at them. You I mean, there ain't nobody good in here. This ain't Christianity. What is this? But I'll just keep going. When I was a teen, whew, y'all know. You're real cynical. Especially if you're a PK. You see what's really going on. Oh, Pastor Brown, dad up there preaching this and doing that, but at home, whoo, Lord, it's rough, right? But what if you just look at yourself? How can you believe you're a believer? Do you always believe? Do you? It is my hope that the faith is not just about your ability to perform your belief. (laughs) Or else you will become a cynic of the faith. Your heart will harden if you're not true about your brokenness. Married to God's faithfulness. Right? Cynicism makes our heart receptacles unable to receive truth beyond your performance or failure and then be able to take it to hope because meaning, ultimate purpose is gone. Or as Sarah says, if you sin enough and it's just about you and you mess up enough and it's just about you and your faithfulness, you will dry out from the inside out. You burn out. I done burned out plenty of times being the pastor. Y'all didn't know that. I went on a six month sabbatical. Probably represent each month represented times I burned out in the twenty years here at Christ Central. Yeah, about six or seven times I burned out, but I just kept going, right? I had to keep doing it. But inside, I was becoming more cynical about the possibilities of what God was doing here and within me. But beyond laughing, I don't want to take too long here, um, because real life seems to be about a false sense of meaning, right, that's true, but she laughs because life really hurts. Let's talk about the obvious, and we talked about this already. Sarah is a woman, now 90 something, who has yet to deliver on her own sense of significance. She's barren, she's a disappointment to herself and her husband and the promise. That's what worn out and dried up means here, right? She has been beaten by life and nothing has been going on in this area of her life. And for a woman again, back then, this was her sense of worth, especially to uh, the promised stuff. And she has beaten herself up on the inside, right? She has been hollowed out emotionally and spiritually. Uh, She's been scraped down, uh, which also means it is not all her. Okay, guys, we got to really step this story up, all right? This is something you probably is not spoken about in this passage all the time. I read the whole thing for years and never saw this reality. Her worn out, dried upness points to her not being cared for or nurtured by anyone else around her. This is saying... Abraham has not gone to fill her and care for her hurt. But in his own stress is simply taken and ignored. Her condition, she's away, right? She's in the kitchen. She's laughing to herself. Understand that this this language here is pointing to a high degree of loneliness. Loneliness. She's alone in her pain. And I mean, I've been married to a woman for 24 years. And this is just a truth that in this broken world, women live with a lot of pain and disappointment on their own because they feel a sense of having to continue to perform and keep everybody alive and keep things up and make snacks for the three strangers that came by. She, I mean, surprised she didn't put a, nothing. She could have messed them snacks up real good. But she's in the kitchen alone, y'all. Now, the, we'll hear about this in a minute, but the good thing is the Lord does hear her, but her husband has yet to hear it. That's why she's dried up in part. Her condition is a reflection of her fruitfulness in her behalf. I'm sorry, her condition is a reflection of his lack of fruitfulness on her behalf in life. This is not about Sarah. This is Abraham and Sarah, right? This is neglect and damage by Abraham's lack of faith too. We've all we've heard all the truth and have failed to deliver or live up to the truth. Our lives uh, feel like one personal failure after another. Deep within, you are you and I are like Sarah, wracked with a barrenness of sincerity or authenticity and truth, a liar of yourself and utter disappointment to yourself. And as if and if that weren't bad enough, look at the world around us. Sarah has trusted in this promise for so many years, and now it's just hurtful to even mention it. Right, life, others. And God have disappointed. We have all trusted and believed somewhere and in something like a silly innocent child, and we're taken. Y'all might be too young for this, but we got to the Wizard, and it was Richard Pryor in a big machine.
0: Right?
1: <laughs> Go ahead and laugh if you know what that is. That's the Whiz, right? The, the the TV production of the Whiz. Yeah, Michael Jackson was in it. Diana Ross, y'all know who that is? Oh, God. Okay, moving on. Right? It, it, let's, let's think about it. You were a fool for love and didn't get the love. Now you're just a fool. Can't trust any sense of authority or leadership, calling folk pastor like they could be trusted to care. Why, well, I'm surprised you're still coming to church. I'm surprised to see churches still growing, especially as the church's responses to social crisis and politics the last seven to eight years. Tent meetings and you are healed and I am saved and sanctified are lines and characters in this Christian sitcom. They are caricatures of some Loch Ness monster truth because we have all believed in some way that if we would touch our hand on the screen or send that pass us some money, we would be healed. And if you were, you would still die from something else or you still would not be the most liked and popular. We sometimes we hate happy church people. Man, I, my wife used to help lead worship up here. And you know, I never liked the overjoyed worship leader. I'm sorry, Corey. Thank you, Lord. Oh, the day is so good. No, it isn't. And you're making me feel uncomfortable. Put your hands up in there. No, I don't feel like putting my hand up. And when you tell everybody, put your hands like you love the Lord, and I don't put my hands up, you know, like Sarah, your hands ain't up Yeah, they are. Right? Right? You know, we say they are up in my heart, <laughs> right? Or, or God uses different versions of worship. You know, I'm more of a sermon guy. We say this all the time. We don't like the too excited preachers, the greeter, who had too many cups of coffee. Some grew up with family member church hypocrites, right? Your parents were pretty good on Sunday. They were jerks on Sunday nights, right? Cynicism says Christians are just too happy. We now believe that you aren't a Christian if you smile too much. We believe the mean Christians more than we believe the happy Christians. Man, Joel Osteen, that dude is always smiling. And I'm thinking, no, nope. can't trust him. Look at those teeth. He got all of them too. <laughs> and they all white. I'm like, no. <laughs> Our world is just too evil to trust anything good about it. It's too hard to be, for good to be worth getting happy and trustful about. Like the movie Rudy. Y'all remember Rudy? Talk, I'm old. Gosh, I got to come up with some new movies. Rudy, I'm looking at the movie Rudy, and I'm thinking, that is such a lie. He got on one play in four years at Notre Dame, one play after the game was won. He didn't win nothing. That's dumb. Right? That's what I'm feeling. That, that don't count. Nobody remembered him, and then somebody thought, let's make a movie Rudy. Yay! No! You didn't do nothing, man. We ain't watching Rudy today, right? Today we watch the Super Bowl. Any Rudys in the game? Ain't no Rudys even on the bench. There's some Rudys holding the, the marker for first and second down, right? Maybe. We hate. You know where I'm going with this. Now God is a real disappointment. How many of you have lived long enough to say God has let you down, He disappointed me. His intentions obviously aren't good for me. You know how many years I've been dealing with this God. You know, if you had just come and done this at this time, I wouldn't be in this mess. I, I, I try not to bring. You know, not, no, I don't try. But, you know, there's a lot of criticism about talking about race stuff so much. But I'm part of a people group, a tribe, in this country, if you will, that has to wonder, where was God for almost 400 years? How could this happen? And then if I talk about it, how could God let his people come back and say it's a personal issue and you're just using racism as an excuse? Why do we have to talk about that? We don't need to worry about social justice. Who cares? You know, the immigrants, all that stuff. Yeah, but you know, if you weren't illegal, (laughs) why would God... Let that be his people. And then say, Howard, <laughs> it, that's Christianity right in America. How could that happen? How could I go to my friend's house and, you know, a, a very close friend of mine, I go to his house and he, at Christmas, he got a big painting with Santa Claus, the American flag and the nativity scene. How would that happen? <laughs> Santa Claus. And we've done a sermon series on Santa Claus, St. Nick. Yeah, he was at the, at the Council of Nicaea in 325. He wasn't, okay. <laughs> but more, I mean, more personal things. I mean, there are groups of people who say, this just can't be. oh, you you, you you go to this church or you do that. Man, you have, people are like, man, please. Look at the people who represent your faith. I got a text the other day from a friend of mine who, <laughs> I think Amari got the same text, that there's a group looking to raise a lot of money to get more ruling elders in this denomination to be at the next General Assembly to vote so that the PCA can be more of the continuing Southern Presbyterian church and culture. If you don't know about the Southern Presbyterian church, it ain't a place a man like me wants to be. Why? Hundreds of thousands of dollars raised to get a vote to go more Southern conservative against social movements that involve people of color. Why? Why? God, you, you disappoint me. I'm disappointed in Christianity, which means I'm disappointed in you. I don't believe this promise for our people. It's happening. If you're a woman, if you're this, I'm just Think about the people who are on the edges sometimes of evangelical Christianity and we're evangelicals. If you want to say we're people of the word and we expect the word to guide how we live and live our lives. Okay, if that's evangelicalism, okay. So I know some of you are feeling that. That's why I brought it up. You're wondering whether this thing is real. I mean, we got a big contingency coming to the next General Assembly, because CRT is on the docket. That's the concern. If it was about missions and reaching the world, wouldn't be a big General Assembly, wouldn't Amari? Why? God, another General Assembly about this stuff? You disappoint me. We have a hard time worshiping, getting involved in the church, quiet time, prayer, Bible study, loving God, talk, crying to Jesus. It's so cynicism sees I'm just going to keep it real. It becomes a resting place for our hearts so they no longer can no longer trust and believe in anything. We just enjoy the show and laugh at the dark comedy of living and believing in God. But here are the good news. <laughs> wow, there's good news? Yes. <laughs> That's why I'm still here. God makes us laugh with joy y'all see joy is not laugh joy based laughter is not based on circumstances under our control or in our ability to handle it but on god's faithfulness even after laughter and doubt of sarah in herself god continues to believe in what he says about sarah that she means something to him that is not just about, it it is just that it is just as much about her as it is about his big plan. Look with me at verse one in in chapter 21. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. Do y'all see that? Who did he do it for? not his big plan he did it for Sarah just as he planned I want you to watch see that He did for Sarah as he's promised. He did it for a person. Not just for some plan in which she was simply a player. She's not just a cog in a wheel, a test tube of what he wanted. Sarah, the person, mattered to God. He believed in her, right? He believed she had meaning and purpose. Here's something simple, but when I hear it for and to myself, I am amazed. God puts his belief in and on your life. God believes on your life's meaning even when you can't. God takes notice and honors who you are, not just what you can do for him. That like Sarah, even when your life and failures of circumstances and circumstances and sin may say that you have no meaning, that your life has no meaning from before you were even born, the Bible says, before one good or bad thought ever entered your mind, the Bible said God believed in your place, your person, the dignity and usefulness of your life to him and others in this world. And while you are laughing and living a lie about yourself, the joke, God himself is smiling. The Bible says, and he is rejoicing. Rejoicing over you, his true and loved creation. You know, I look at my boys when they were younger, I used to just laugh at them, even when they were bad, because they meant something to me. And all I want to do is communicate that, yes, Harrison, yes, Clark, you mean something to the world. We have a Father in heaven that says to us, like children who believe in their life is just about playing games and, and doing crazy stuff. You mean something real, is what God wants to tell you. Not just play, play. Yes, behind the mask, under the lies, behind the fabrications. fabrications. Yes, you reeking of the stench of bad choices. You mean something. God believes you exist, God believes you matter. God believes in you. Hear this again. You and I are not an X or Y or some sort of undefined factor in the cosmic formula. You have a name and an existence that can't be ignored and isn't ignored by God himself. He's serious about that. He doesn't laugh at you. You are not a cosmic joke. He laughs over you. He laughs about you in joy over you. What's this Bible about? Right? Not... uh, What's this Bible about? It's about one, it's about God's laughing over us. Um, Not just a story above the clouds, a story about the gods in the sky. No, God's plan and purpose and works happen on earth in creation through people, Abraham, Sarah, and now Isaac, the, 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 the son of Abraham and Sarah. They were people used for good, which means what? Good does happen even in twisted people and vessels, and by extension, institutions. But why? Because a good God is at work. Look again at verse six here uh, in chapter 21. It says, And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. God's calling us to laugh with him, y'all. Real laughter. Joy. The message the Bible impart is this. Yes, there is much to cry about. It is true that death death is inevitable. It is true that people have faulty motives, but laugh with me. Let's have joy together because amidst the mess, God has infused this world with things that should make us laugh because he is a good God. The world created by him, polluted by us, still has things that break through and say, yes, there is real and there's good and there's real joy and there's real niceness and there's real love. I admit the beat is not perfect but it really resonates something good in us. God has given us more, given us as real as love and real friendship and real hugs and real kisses and real connection and real community. And as much as that stuff is good enough to lead us towards a freedom, it is not good enough to finally and fully offer a hope and meaning. Here's the clincher for Sarah's joy. It says this. Verse one in chapter 21. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God has commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me Laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. Why should we laugh with Sarah? Not just because she gave birth to a cute little baby. And oh, he's so cute. That we think it's awesome that an old woman is fertile again. No, we laugh with Sarah and have real joy and hope in this life because hope itself, reality itself a is a touchable thing. The connection between God, between the good stuff God thinks about us, all the good things God has given us, guess what? Like Isaac, it has been born into our very existence. Right that reality, that meaning itself like Isaac comes in a person whose name is like Isaac's. That is, it is joyful laughter, it's hope, it's meaning. Sarah gave birth to more than Isaac. For Isaac's birth is a foreshadowing of the birth of Jesus. We only can have hope and joy and be free. Because God sent his Isaac, Jesus, in the lives of people who had no reason to laugh, but every reason to cry. We laugh. Because Jesus comes to be, to, to be born into our very lives. You know, I think about sitcoms. In every sitcom... You know, if you watch years of sitcoms, you know, whatever, y'all know there's always gonna be that serious sitcom, you know, with a studio audience, oh Lord, or something like that, right? Okay, if you okay, gosh. I'm trying to think of some new stuff. Oh. All right. Good times. That's too old. (sighs) When Flo gets the call and James has died. What about Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Uncle Phil, why he don't want me? You remember that? And it gets quiet. Jesus brings a quiet seriousness to our brokenness. But he brings a joy and a real laughter to our story. And he breaks the power of cynicism, of our unbelief, by doing so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. That you broke in. That when you died on the cross, you became the joke. You became the world's joke. So that we can know God takes us seriously. And Lord, you became the seriousness of our sin so that we can enjoy the laughter of being your children. Lord, as we think about the story, like Isaac, when we're born again in Christ, we give you laughter and joy. Help us to know that today. Help us to remember that when it's easy to get grumpy and lack belief, when we focus on our performance more than we do your promise of faithfulness and love. Help us to see you as a father who looks over his children and is joyous. Lord, as we continue to struggle with cynicism, it's, it, it's, indo- it's indoctrinating. We watch it every day everywhere, whether it's brought in sarcasm or ironic stuff or dramedies or comedies or memes or videos or whatever, Lord, help us. I do pray for your church right now. It's going through a lot of mess. When it comes to social issues right now and race issues, Lord, it's easy to become cynics. The world has looked at the church and they're laughing at us, Lord, and at you. It's hard to believe when they see what they see. Lord, I pray that you would overcome the cynicism of the world so that they can see the truth of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us in this church to have true joy true repentance and true belief in you because you sent your son, Jesus, for real into this world and into our lives. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you right now, who've been laughing at church and life all their lives, just living on the fringe Like Sarah sitting in the tent on the outside, listening to what God's saying, ha ha. Lord, like Sarah, let them know that you see their hearts and that you have paid attention to them. Call people to yourself today. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.